Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Ugly Ducklings podcast with your hosts, Rashida and Bryce. Today, we will be talking about a book, a book that I recently have read um, and Bryce is currently reading, and I thought it would just be great for us to talk about because in our first season of the podcast, we talked a lot about trauma, processing grief, trauma, coping with different things, partly why we even have this podcast to begin with. So we will be talking about the book called What Happened to You? And this was written by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. Yeah, so Rashida definitely put me on to the book. She said it was a great read. And I actually started listening to the book because, you know, I'm a fan of Audible because I'm always driving. So I always have to listen to something. And the first couple of chapters really hit home. So, okay already okay yeah, let's talk it was, about it. <laughs> it you know another book that i'm gonna recommend is called the body keeps score and it's very similar um in terms of like acknowledging your trauma at an early age and one thing that stuck out to me early was that um we always think about when we're triggered by incidents that happen in our life it's always the event itself but i never considered that it could also be like a smell too and when they gave the example of the the boy who was, um, he experienced some childhood trauma with his family, and then he went to a new school, and he was acting out. And uh, when Dr. Perry was observing this, the boy in his classroom, he couldn't really find anything that was triggering the child, right? And then when he observed the child meeting with the dad, he noticed a scent. And then he asked the teacher, like, hey do you mind switching your deodorant up? Like, <laughs> I think it was, a, it was a, like yeah, old Yeah, it was spotting. that or like, yeah, it was some type of smell or it was also like the hint of cigarette. It was something, but you're right. Something. I think it was, I think it is um the hint of like the deodorant or cologne, something of that nature that he was wearing. Right. So then the teacher went odorless and then the child was no longer triggered. And I was yeah. like, mind blown. Cause I was like, I've never considered that. So now I'm thinking to myself, like about all the times when I was like triggered in a moment and like, it might not actually been the event. It could have been something I saw, something I heard, something I smelled, something I tasted that could have like triggered all these like old feelings or old emotions I had like buried up inside of me. Yeah, no, I think that that is very real actually. So I was speaking with someone this weekend and they mentioned that they don't like mayonnaise, right? So then they kind of had a story about their childhood where they were essentially forced to eat a sandwich that had like too much mayonnaise on it. Ew. And it reminded me of that scene in Crooklyn where they're like, you're going to eat these black eyed peas. And he keeps eating them and he throws up and everyone's like, ew, and it's like a whole thing. But again, imagine that guy, if, that, if Crooklyn was a real story, imagine him now as an adult Anytime he smelled black eyed peas, I would imagine you would have like that. All of that would come back. Maybe not exactly like, oh, I threw up and my mom forced me to eat these peas. But the feeling of it, that uncomfortableness probably around it. And then that food kind of just triggers it. And you don't even realize that that is what it's doing. Oh, that's real. And you know what? I'm thinking about in kindergarten um, to this day, to this day. I have an issue with eating. What's that cereal? It's like 
I don't want to say it's cream of wheat. It could be, but it looks like they're like little squares. It's like straw. They look oh like yeah, straw. that's like mini wheats or frosted mini wheats or something like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely I, mini wheats. To this day, I can't eat those because in kindergarten, anytime you got in trouble, they made you eat those for breakfast. Oh, that's also strange. Like what? <laughs> I cannot. I have not tasted those since five. I cannot. Gosh. Did you have to eat them dry? Because I'm like why would that be a punishment i oh, think gosh. i think dry and like i can remember the texture the straw texture was dry i just can't do it yeah <laughs> i think what also about this book that was interesting for me is how many times do we truly like you might meet someone and they may rub you the wrong way do you really sit back and ask the questions of, well, what maybe have they gone through? Because to some degree, a question I have for you is, does it matter um, as you become an adult? I think when you're a child, you get a lot more leeway, right? Of like, well, this person may have, this child may have gone through trauma, different things and like be more um, forgiving or patient. But when an adult crosses you, we kind of don't really ask or talk about their traumas or what they may have gone through. But is it fair to do that when someone may have disrespected you or crossed a boundary with you? Yeah, I mean, to answer that question, I try to because it allows me to empathize with them and I don't take things as personal. And that's something that I've kind of developed as a skill over the years. Uh, there's an, an, for example, when I played that Twitter Big Brother game that we talk about all the time, there was one woman who was playing and she and I had a uh, disagreement and we were having a back and forth on my end it was very like everything was about game but then I guess she didn't like the way I was talking about her and she convinced herself in that moment that I said something about her daddy issues and I never did I don't know yeah. anything about her and then she went and told everyone that I said that she had daddy issues which kind of villainized me. Yeah. Uh, and in that instant moment, um, someone lying on me is a trigger for me, right? Because of my own childhood trauma. But I had to take myself out of the situation. And mind you, this is a 21, 22-year-old woman and I'm a 34-year-old man. So I had to put my little therapist hat on and was like <laughs> thinking like, okay, well, she revealed something that she probably does has daddy issues, right? She told on herself. So um, I, you know, my dad's still living, but I could only imagine if my dad was taken away from me at a younger age and how I could actually um, react to certain situations, right? So then for her, she has this man uh, speaking to her who's very direct, who's myself. And in that moment, she could not handle that. On top of that, she said that um, I don't know how to speak to women properly when um, I didn't curse at her. I wasn't raising my voice. I was just talking in a, you know, a calm way. So that also let me know that maybe she's suffered some like, um, maybe some abuse by her boyfriend, maybe some abuse by other men in her life for her to even come up with that. So yeah. I say all that to say, rather than taking that situation personal, I tried to like look at it objectively. And then I was able to just like move on from it. And to this day, she still hasn't, she still convinced herself that that's why she doesn't like me. But 
it's a one-sided beef because she can't look at herself objectively. Granted, she's only 21, 22 years old. Um, whereas I, I guess, have enough life experience or I can just, you know, empathize with her. Like, hey, like, I get it. Like, um, you just couldn't handle that conflict in that moment. So it is what it is. You're going to find a way to villainize me. So I'll be your villain. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be the hero in everybody's story. And you have to be okay with that which is mm-hmm. great that you like, again, don't take it personal. You know, we, we are just gonna have to agree to disagree. Okay. That's how you feel. And that's the thing I actually had to deal with that recently. Mm. Um, but not from the same angle as you, like this was someone that I knew on a more like romantic level, but sure. the conversation that we were having, it was like, we're not going to agree. And you're going, you wanted to kind of gaslight and being able to identify that and just be like you know what you're never going to see my point of view as much as I may be triggered to want to prove that um like I am who I say I am and blah 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 it's like at the end of the day who am I really arguing for for you or for myself you know and so you have to sometimes try to think through that um about who you're like, who are you trying to prove things to? Who are you looking for validation from and why? Like, what is the root cause of that? Um, and that was something too, like when I was reading this book, like there's a a snippet I wanted to read. Like it says, so this is Dr. Bruce Perry. He's like, yes, belonging and being loved are core to the human experience. We are a social species. We are meant to be in community emotionally, socially, and physically interconnected. And definitely it does. Um, And another part of the book that I read, which was very surprising for me, which was, I believe the first two months of an infant's life or of your life in general um, are extremely important for your development. So although we don't remember it, and although a lot of times parents don't think like a one month old would know what the hell is going on. And they obviously, as they get older, would never be able to articulate or say, oh, this is what happened when I was one month. Oh, their brain isn't like fully formed. However, it's still enough going on within our our brains to be able to retain that in terms of whether it's loving and soothing versus traumatic. Mm. No, that's valid. And they definitely, uh, Dr. Perry and Oprah definitely spoke on that in the book in in the sense of like, to your point, most parents think, oh, you know, you know, I divorced my husband, I divorced my wife, my child was like two months old. So they don't remember what's going on. And then the child ends up with like abandonment issues as a teenager or an adult. Yeah. And even just something as simple as like arguing, yelling, screaming around a baby, you're again, you're like, they're a baby. They don't know what the hell is going on, but they do. They can sense that energy. And so all of the soothing and making sure that they feel protected and that you're there is more important apparently based on this book in those two first two months of life versus later on in their childhood, which I thought mm. was very surprising. Right. That's real. And then um, going along with the book as well, I learned more about the reptilian brain, part of your brain, which I feel like plays right into that. And then for those who are not familiar like me with the reptilian part of your brain is it's the oldest part of your brain and makes up essentially 90% of your decision-making. So it's that like when you had that flight or fight or just those like impulses that you don't necessarily know that you do, that's part of the reptilian brain. And um, to your point, 
Like, I definitely feel like those instances within day one of your birth to month three, month two, definitely are feeding into that reptilian brain. And you take that with you the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Another um, like sentence to just pull is like, what happened to you as an infant has a profound impact on this capacity to love and to be loved. So again, it all is interconnected. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because yes, um, the way in which we live in modern age, it is very easy to isolate and to kind of be self-sufficient, right? You don't really need to interact with humans for the most part because the internet, your phone, the, your computer, all those different things kind of can provide a lot of things for you. Um, you can use Instacart to get groceries. Like you don't really need to leave your house if you have a remote job, different things where you really can disconnect from people socially. However, when you do that, it does end up having traumatic effects although we may not be aware of it mm. and then to some degree like that's one aspect the other aspect is then how you show up in the world in terms of how you interact with people or more more importantly for a lot of people in their like romantic situations how do you um interact and how do you love and when someone is actually showing you a healthy form of love, are you like receptive to it? Are you not? Like all of that comes into play now based on what happened to you as an infant. Mm, that's crazy. You know, it's funny. I always think about your favorite cartoon show, uh, Hey Arnold. Oh, I love and that. The, the episode where you saying? It's a, the go. That is the best show to me of, of children television. <laughs> it's definitely for adults. Um, I definitely yeah. appreciate that well into my 30s. But I say all that to say the episode where Helga actually went to therapy and uh, we found out why Helga's a bully and why she hates Arnold so much. Why she hates Arnold, but also loves him at the same time. Um, do you remember the episode? I feel like I do. I'm like trying to think back because, um, I mean, we know her mom's an alcoholic and her dad is too busy, but continue. Like, okay, refresh so my think- memory. Okay, so I think Helga's in pre-K or kindergarten. It's her first, first day of school. And um, her her dad and mom are supposed to drop her off because, you know, it's the first day of school. It's like a big deal for her. And then um, her sister, if you're not familiar with the show, everyone, oh, yes. Olga, who is the perfect child, the golden child. She does everything right. Olga decides to get on the piano and play. Then the parents are like in a trance. They're just watching Olga play. And then Helga's like, mommy, daddy, aren't you supposed to take me to school? Completely ignoring her. She's not getting any attention. Don't you know that little baby had to walk to school in the rain by herself? Yes. Oh, I do remember that. So, oh, Helga. Right. But then on top of that, when I'm going to say she might have been a couple blocks from the school, um, Arnold and his grandpa pull over. Arnold brings out his umbrella. He's like, oh, you can like get a ride with us. Or maybe he walks her. Maybe they walk together. So then that's when Helga fell in love with Arnold because he was the only person that paid her attention at the time, right? Yeah. So this is where the hate comes in. So she's like all jittery over Arnold. And I think another student sees it. Maybe she like writes a, like a card with a heart with his name on it. So then someone makes fun of her because of it. And then she p- beats the boy up. So then to like cover up that she is in love with Arnold she picks on Arnold uh, well I mean we are also taught at least little girls when you're younger and a boy picks on you your parent oh he likes you so again we learn unhealthy 
form like we attach unhealthy forms of uh behavior to like like or love which is like the first foray into dating fuck boys essentially because it's like oh this nigga's treating me like trash but he loves me though it's like no he doesn't but somebody so told cool. you that like at in the fifth grade or something so now you believe this it's so crazy because I relate to Helga so much in a sense. So like for myself, I had to take inventory last week because um, I really had to like look at my past and look at my own traumas and triggers. And I was saying to myself, like up until this point in my life, maybe before the last six years, I always attracted friends or I always entertained friends, relationships or just community where I was always ignored, Right. There were times when I was younger where like I would say something at the lunch table, no one would respond. And I'm like, did you all hear me? And then everyone's, oh, we heard you. Oh, wow. You're just not responding. I'm like, sure, sure. <laughs> so that would like drive me crazy. But then as an adult, I would like date men who like I would say something there's no response. And then I'm instantly triggered inside. I'm like, well, why aren't you? I'm like, why is what I'm saying not important? They're like, oh, everything doesn't deserve a response, right? These are the type of people I was dating. Like subconsciously, I was dating people who would ignore me. So yeah. I always had friends, um, thou shalt not be named, uh, who would also ignore <laughs> me as well. And I felt like that was normal. But now at my great year of 35, with life experience, I have great friends who show up for me and they're present for me and I'm also present for them. I have a great partner who's present for me and I show up for him and vice versa. But when I when I thought back on like, oh my gosh, like why was I cool with people or friends with people or dated people that would think it would be okay to ignore me? Like what I said wasn't important. But yeah. that's because in a weird way, I, I that was normal being ignored, even though I hated it. Yeah. No, that's really, that's powerful that you even got to that like aha moment where you're like, oh shit, like this is a pattern. I need to break it. And then you did, right? Because that is the harder part for a lot of people is identifying it and then actually getting rid of certain friendships or um, or f even familial relationships and then moving forward. I think mm -hmm. the familial ones are definitely a lot, a lot harder for many people because there's people I know who, I guess you could say have, you know, up and down relationships with like sister brother mom dad but because it's like family they're still like fighting for it and it's like at some point is it worth it anymore like you might need to just preserve self but I know that of course like when it comes to family you want to keep trying if possible right and then speaking on family when I took it a when I took a deeper dive like how I relate to Olga like you know my family history I come from like uh, I'm the youngest of three my brother was a great athlete, so a lot of attention was spent on him, rightfully so, right? Okay, so he was Olga, you were Helga. Right. Yes, right. Okay. But I will say, like, my parents did give me attention, but there's just little instances, like, to this day, where, like, and everyone experiences this with, like, my dad. Like, when you're talking to him and he's watching TV, you're literally going to be talking to yourself for five minutes because he's not going to respond. Like, he's, like, you'll be like, hey, dad, did it? Click, click, click. And you're just like, at some, you, at some point, you just walk away. It's like, you know, I can't deal with this. Yeah. Um, 
So, and I feel like you've expressed to me, like, from when you were younger, that, like, just being ignored like that is like a, like a, a very, I don't know, I can't describe the feeling, but it, it just bothers you. Like, it bothers yes. me about you. Yes, I definitely experienced that as well um, as a kid. And it would be like, I'd just be, I was definitely like a a chatty kid, like with my parents. Sure. Um, and I'd be talking, talking, talking. And it'd be like, you are not listening. And it used to really piss me off. And so I think now as an adult, it's, I have really short patience. And my mom and I do talk about this because um, I don't want to be that way, but it is really hard. I'm like, when she, when I say something and she's not listening, I'll be like, it's cool. We good. And she'll be like, wait, no, like say it again. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's not important oh at this gosh. point. I- I do that sometimes with uh, Mo. <laughs> Whereas, like, he could be like, rightfully so, he's on Instagram. And I feel like I'm like, uh, I do it just to see if he is paying attention, right? That's the reptilian, right? And yeah. I'm like, I have my whole conversation. He, then he's not listening. Then I'm instantly like, <laughs> and he's like, what did you say? I'm like, nothing. Fine. He's like, no, what did you say? I'm like, I said this, that, and the third. And it's just like, not saying that he's he works a lot so his brain is all over the place right but like instantly in that moment it brings me right back to childhood of being ignored and from all these different people that were in my life at the time yeah no I mean we definitely have that was one I know we definitely share um and it's just ooh, like that not feeling heard right and I think that was my trigger in that last um situation I kind of mentioned where I was like okay we're not going to agree where it's like I I want you to at the very least acknowledge what I'm saying and you won't like you're refusing to and it was like triggering because it's like I I want you to acknowledge it and it's like it's not worth it this person isn't going to give you that like move on remove yourself from that because that could be a toxic cycle um and here's like Mm -hmm. another thing like too I wanted to mention, like, and this is all from the same chapter, but I just thought this one would be really helpful for our listeners is the, to the newborn, love is action. Okay. It is the attentive, responsive, nurturing care that adults provide. So it says, you know, a parent may truly love his child, but if he is sitting at a computer posting on social media about how much he loves his child while the infant is in another room, awake, hungry, and crying, the infant experiences no love. So for infants, it's the skin-to-skin warmth, the smell, as we talked about earlier, the sights and sounds of their caregiver the attentive and responsive caregiver's actions, that becomes love. And I bring this up because I know for me, when I just speak about dating, Ooh, you're- and, and definitely for friendships too, but for dating, that is the broken record that usually ends up me leaving a man on red or him deciding I can't deal with Rashida. She's too stressful. She's too much. It's because I'm like, your actions and your words are not aligning. I need action to feel love and you're not, and you're refusing to give me that. And I can't keep going back and forth with you. Yo, that is wow. We are like connected mentally right now. Because <laughs> listen, I was just having a conversation with my cousin about those couples who overly post everything on social media and there's nothing there. There's no intimacy. Like I'm posting love my bae, love everything. But then behind closed doors, there's no love. Right. And people out here doing that with babies. 
Oh, I know somebody who does that with their child all the time. Ooh, ah, that even is more mad. hurtful. That is more hurtful, right? Because it's all about, I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad. Look at this baby in this cute little outfit. We got matching, you know, Jordans on, which is all very cute. But again, you're not actually paying your child real attention. Um, remember, we joked about this, but remember Bartise made his announcements and showed him and his baby. And, and I think you told me someone was in the comments like, you could tell he don't live with that baby. And it's like, again, why are you putting on this facade that you're like this great, I don't want to, you know what, let me not say he's like a terrible parent, but that you're like super active because you're not, you're not even physically there in the household to provide that skin to skin and emotional loving like connection every day. Mm -hmm. Nick Cannon, I have a problem with Nick Cannon, him wanting to impregnate the world because you cannot be a present father to all these kids living all across the globe. Right. It's more than that to being a parent agreed i i always have this conversation with people it's like um you could be a financial provider amazing but like what's what what are you teaching your child on the inside are you showing up for them emotionally are you showing up for yourself emotionally are you present emotionally what's going on right that i mean it goes back to now the comment you made about the couples you know and their portrayal of their perfect relationship online versus what's really going on behind closed doors because we've talked about what is the definition of masculinity and you have people who can't even don't even feel comfortable crying in front of their partner so to me what relationship is this if I can't be snotty nose runny nose crying my eyes out because of something that happened I you of all people should be the one person that I could do that with man or woman and it shouldn't be a problem period but we don't actually feel that comfortable and then in some instances unfortunately when for whatever reason you like someone enough and have the butterflies enough that you decide to bear your soul or actually be vulnerable unfortunately in some of these instances people are then still turning their backs on you and then reinforcing why you shouldn't actually be vulnerable and open mm. Please, I hope I hope the right listeners are listening. To <laughs> These are some gems. Rashida is dropping gems on us. No, no crumbs are left today. She's eating with all the, all the advice, all the words. I'm just living in all this joy because it's it's got me jittery. I'm like, woo. Go ahead, keep them going, Rashida. <laughs> it's just essentially right. Like here's like the last piece of this chapter that I'll probably read. Um is in reference to, it says, people are good. It is through these interactions that the child's worldview is built. But in some sense, if people are bad, again, it is through these interactions that a child's worldview is built. So we do need to be more understanding. And I think that's something that would be homework for me is in uh, in the future, when I come across some people that are nasty, mean, um liars right they just do certain things where you're like "Mm, this is not someone I would particularly hang out with all the time but maybe still take a second to wonder well maybe what is going on now I think the part where I would struggle is do you dive deeper to get to know what happened to this person and ask them straight up like "Mm, I noticed that 
and this is a very extreme case. I noticed that you are a pathological liar and you are always making up bullshit stories and always looking for attention. Some of these lies have affected me or other people that I know. So I'm not necessarily a fan of this, of you per se, but why? What happened? How'd you grow up? What's your mom and dad like? Like, I don't even know how you go into a like, conversation like that with certain people to maybe ultimately get to a, a point of view where you would be empathetic or like understanding of why they maybe are the way they are. That's real. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's kind of like that theory with that uh, criticism and advice. Like you should only take criticism or advice personal or serious if it's somebody if it's from someone you care about so if I care about the person of course I'm going to inquire more because I care about our relationship I don't want to lose it like can we let's like work on it but like with someone that like I just met or someone that whether we had this conversation today tomorrow whether I speak this person today or tomorrow and they don't add anything to my life I'm not going to really dive deep into that because like, I'm not like, I'm not trying, this is not the the build a house club. Like I'm not trying to build you up, fix you up. And we not, we're not there with our relationship like that. Right. But I can pick up on like key words that you throw out on, throw out to me that will help me like build empathy for you. But I'm not really going to dive deeper. Like case in point with the Twitter game, like, when she said like, oh, you have, um, you, Bryce said that I have daddy issues. From right, then, from right then and there, I already knew she had some daddy issues. Did I ask her about that? Are we taking a seat on the red couch? Absolutely <laughs> not. But I'm like, okay, I get it. I get you. I get you. But you can, somebody else can deal with all that because that's that's not for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely like, it's not it's not for you. But it's it's just so hard because after reading the book, you're like, wow, like people, majority of us adults are out here still children, right? Like our inner child still is craving something probably in some degree for some of us is more than others. Not, you know, I'm not saying that no one ends up having like a good childhood, but there's always going to be something where maybe you wish you had a little bit more of or a little less of. And we're all out here walking adults that are really just big people still children on the inside looking for different validations and love and hope but again like you said we're not I can't be friends with everybody if you rub me the wrong way it's hard for me to just necessarily be like all right now I'm just gonna be so intrigued in figuring you out and helping you because you gotta want to help yourself right and it's very um similar well similar experience was uh you watched the show Sex Education, right? Yes. So the character Ruby, the Regina George character, remember she was like the bully, not the bully, the mean girl, cute mean girl with the entourage who wasn't yes. really a fan of our main character, Otis, but then somehow Otis and Ruby slept together at a house party after being intoxicated. Then they started dating. So up to that point, we did not care about Ruby, right? Because she yeah. was just like, an antagonist i guess a pseudo antagonist of the show right like she was a mean girl but then we learn why she's mean when we go home with her for the episode and we find out she's taking care of her sick dad she doesn't like to be vulnerable so then it's like oh we get you now right but like to our point we didn't care about that until we built our person until she had like a personal relationship with the character we cared about yes 
No, very true. I think there's always more layers to, you know, to uncover with people. All of us are little, are just little onions, but how much you're willing to, I guess, get into the, into the weeds with that and, and, and get through all the layers is based on one, like one, your interest, right? Like how much do I even care to know? And then two, how much is this person willing to actually give and to be vulnerable? Because it does still take two. And I think that's the part sometimes, unfortunately, is for some of the children that Dr. Bruce Perry talks about in the book, majority of the stories he shares, it's like they always end up ultimately having like a positive like result based on like the work that he does with them. But in a real life, you know, let's say people who don't get to work with him at his, as a child and they just go into adulthood still carrying all of these things, a lot of it just becomes unaddressed. And even if you, let's say I meet a guy and I'm like, I really like you. I want to work. I want to just get to know you. I want to be there for you. I want to support you. He has to also want to allow me to do that and also acknowledge, Mm. well, maybe I do have trauma. Maybe I do need help. Maybe I am suffering from X, Y, Z. But if that doesn't happen, there's nothing I can do. And there's no way we can even get past it because you're like, there's no problem. I'm good. Right. That's when you had to hit him with the line. You know, uh, you got some work to do. So <laughs> you have some work to do, my friend. This is this is not working out. Maybe you dumped me, maybe I dumped you, but you have some work to do. I'm an ongoing process, but you need to start, baby. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even the book we talk about all the time, attached, kind of still again dives into this because you're probably avoidant or insecurely anxious, attached because of trauma because of how your parents raised you or or shouldn't say raised you but nurtured you how did they come you know how did they soothe some of the needs that you had as a child how did that come about and if they did Mm -hmm. that positively I think you're more likely to you know when people don't treat you well to remove yourself versus in the scenario where they are maybe your parents or what you witnessed wasn't healthy then you are more willing to deal with unhealthy romantic partners right and one big component of that is also humanizing your parents because I feel yeah. like a lot of us have them on this pedestal and we can't see any of their flaws right so once you're able to get over that hump and realize like your parents have just as many if not more flaws than you have but they did the best that they could at the time with you, right? Because there's no real right or wrong way of how to raise a child. Like, because every child is different. Every child has different needs. And then they loved you the way that they were loved. So it's like this ongoing generational thing going on in your family. So once you're able to like humanize them, then you're probably able to see, okay, here's some areas that where I might've picked up on some, some, trauma in my life right maybe there wasn't enough attention given to me maybe there was too much attention given to me now I'm like super clingy right like so it's just just humanizing your parents and kind of like picking up on things that you experienced when you were younger definitely helps and I think the humanizing is wow I feel like that's traumatic in itself like imagine like when you're younger your parents are like like awesome amazing they can do no wrong they are literally like superman and superwoman and then one day you're like they don't know nothing and it's like almost like a big letdown because now you you do see all of the flaws and like obviously they should have never been on that pedestal to begin with 
but right. I feel like it still hurts because you're like, wow, like there's certain things that I thought this person maybe could guide me on or knew that I, that I realized now they don't know. And right. it can sometimes be, I think, really um, depressing for certain children when you're like really assessing like who your parents really are. Um, and not, again, it is not the fault of them because they are human, just like we are. When we have kids, it's going to be the same thing. But again, it's just like hoping that whatever you've learned is enough that they do feel for the most part loved and cared for and supported. Right. Like I have a relative in my family who it took them to go to therapy in their forties for them to actually acknowledge that their mother was an alcoholic. So like that in itself, like at 40, just actually being able to acknowledge that your parent was an alcoholic and they binge drink every day and their sleeping wasn't sleeping. It was just them passing out from too much alcohol every single day. They never really wanted to verbalize that. Like they just said, oh, my, you know, my mom, you know, she's just sleep. No, your mom's drunk and she passed out on a Wednesday or on a Thursday when she was supposed yeah. to pick you up from school. Yeah, right. And again, that is now trauma that is traumatic, but some of us, we have so many things that we go through like that, that we just put, you know, push under the rug. Imagine how many people in many families of all races have that cousin, uncle, auntie who touched somebody inappropriately. And that particular child is dealing with being sexually abused, but for whatever reason has gone their whole life. And it's just like, it's cool. It's whatever. And they still got to see this person at family functions and everyone's operating like, oh, it's fine. You were a kid, like, you'll get over it. We don't want Uncle, you know, Uncle John John to go to jail. So it's cool. Like, no, actually, it's not. Exactly. Uh, that could be an episode in itself. The the family trauma, like, like of molestation, like, and how, to your point, everyone acts like it didn't happen because they don't want to hold the person accountable. Right, because it's so uncomfortable. It's like, you've you don't want to like acknowledge that, wow, this person, let's say touched a child in the family and then you're actually not all that good. So now like, there's just so many layers to that. I think people don't want to face head on. And so they said, they just, you know, stick their head in the sand. I'd rather just not deal. It'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. You know, we're, we're tough. You're tough. You'll get over it. Oh my gosh. That reminds me of that YouTube movie that, like, I feel like everyone's heard of it. It's like there's something strange with the Johnsons. Have you heard of it? Don't watch no. it. Oh my it. god, don't watch it's, it. Actually, the man who it came out in like 2010, and essentially, it's um the the director of Hereditary. I think it's like his oh. first independent film. So, so it's a black family, and. The, the the film starts off with the son, he might be like 12 or 13. He's like masturbating under covers, whatever, doing his thing. And the dad walks in. He's like, oh, son, like, do we need to have the conversation about the birds and the bees, the blah, blah, blah. So then when the dad leaves, you see the son is masturbating to a photo of his dad. Oh. And then you find, I'm not going to spoil everything, but then yeah. as the movie progresses, the, the son grows up and for all these years when he becomes an adult is sexually assaulting his father and the mom finds out and she doesn't do anything she's like so like 
stressed. Like she doesn't know what to do. It's just like a hot mess. Oh my it's like the spin scary, but that's some people's reality. But it's just yes. weird because most of the time you would think that it was the father who was molesting the son. No, the son was molesting the father. Oh my gosh. It's on YouTube. It's I'll like look it up. Oh my okay. This is like a really short okay. Yeah. It's, but it's filmed like a like it's like a you regular know. film. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll I'll like there's something strange about the Johnsons. And oh my god. I'm talking about because it's like, well, what traumatized what did the son go through? For him to do this to his own father. Yeah, there's, oh gosh, who knows? Because that's the other problem sometimes. Like, um, I mean, you could talk about that when you think of like the different school shootings and different things that happen where you have a teenager, you know, that decides to get a gun and shoot up the place and, you know, potentially even kill themselves. And you're like, well, what happened? What were they going through? And it's hard to say because everyone's barometer for stress also is very different. And so that's the other part too, where you're like, oh, you know, I know sometimes in the black community, you'll be like, oh, well, they got beat up or they got molested or something bad happened. Well, you know, we're tough. We dealt with slavery. You'll get over it. And yeah, but okay, I guess. And then you have some people that whatever, you know, maybe you went through that you were just like, I'm tough. Someone else is really like bent out of shape out about it. Like, it's like, and who are you to judge of like how they necessarily decide to cope with that? Yeah, everyone's everyone's emotions can only handle so much. No one can handle the same things, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't expect you from other people, everyone. Everyone goes through different things, okay? No, exactly. And then again, just being aware that we are all just, you know, walking around in adult bodies, but we're still kids on the inside. Like um, one of the other like studies or not shouldn't say studies, one of the other examples Dr. Bruce Perry gave in the book, um, which I'm not sure if you've gotten there yet, but it's just like a girl who was like pretty much not really taken care of as a child, had a lot of issues. And then by the time she's 20 or 21, she's already pregnant, um, like addicted to, I guess, I think a drug, like hard drugs. Um, anyway, her child gets taken from her and mm. then they end up having like this situation where like the baby is in some type of foster care. And so she's starting to see this child every now and then. And throughout doing that, the woman who was the foster mom is like an older woman who's like, I guess had a lot of different kids come and, not, come and go out of her home and has kind of, you know, raised them. Uh, starts essentially in a weird way, like raising the mom. Because again, she was the kid who was unloved, didn't get taken care of. She had her own behavioral problems and different things that were never addressed and traumas that were never addressed. And so it was like, they started working with her on her trauma and she was actually open to it. So they got her to the point where she could actually get custody again of her child. And you're just thinking like, wow, in some ways you would just write her off, you know, cause she's an adult, like, oh, she's just a deadbeat mom. She doesn't care, whatever. You would just, you know, roll your eyes, keep it moving versus in the scenario, these people were like, hey, like, let's really find out what happened to you. And then from there, like worked with her to get herself to the right place to actually be a present parent. Mm. Did they actually adopt the mom? Um, I don't think so, because I think, you know, the mom was like an adult, so I don't think she could have anyway, but I think they ended up where they were all like very close, of course, and she would be coming over a lot and watch seeing her child. But then, like I said, ultimately, I think got to the point where she could actually take her own kid back. 
I mean, the only reason I say that is because I don't know if you remember, Ayana from Love is Blind season two was adopted at 20. Oh, I don't think I realized remember? she was adopted at 20. I thought for whatever yeah. reason that she had like always grew up with, with those two people as her parents. She did. I think so. Remember, she got like put out at like 14, 15. And then I don't know if they're like technically her aunt and uncle biologically, but I remember yeah. she said she got adopted as an adult. So like, okay. no reason. I, said, I was like, well, I mean, everyone needs a parent. Regardless no, that's of true. That is very true. Yeah, I don't think they mentioned that, but maybe that would be nice if that did happen. Mm-hmm. But yes, thanks um, everyone for listening to this episode. Um, I don't really have anything else to add. I don't want to spoil too much of the book. So if you haven't already, you know, you can get it um, via audiobook or just, you know, Kindle, regular paperback, you know, Barnes and Noble seems to be a thing again. I'm starting to see them pop back up. Yeah. <laughs> we love a Barnes. I just got a um, Barnes and Noble gift card. Thanks, Mom. Really nice. Okay. Yeah. I used to love that store all the time of sitting there just read books. Um, teen, teen fiction used to be my jam back then. Mm. It's like you know your Twilight kind of kind of books. You know, I'm all about post-apocalyptic, futuristic books. So that was my jazz. Yeah, yeah. Well, science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, everyone, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Ugly Ducklings podcast. Let us know what you think. So reach out to us via Instagram or um, send us an email, uglyducklingspod at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts and we will catch you guys next week. Peace, y'all. Later. <laughs>